Welcome to the Qalam Institute podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Kamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophets of Allah. That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad wasallam. Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-lazhi nastafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatam al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. Today, inshallah, al-aziz, we will cover the story of Sayyidina Nuh alayhi salam. Nuh alayhi salam is from the children of Idris alayhi salam. Not his direct child, but from his grandchildren comes Nuh alayhi salam. Some scholars say the reason why his name is Nuh is because he cried abundantly in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahu alam. There are narrations of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as narrated by Imam ibn Hibban rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih which give us a timeline of where Nuh salam came in Islamic history. And the narration states that between Nuh salam and Adam salam, there were ten generations. Now what does this mean by ten generations? The most obvious meaning is that between him and Adam salam were ten grandfathers, so ten generations were there. And another explanation of the word generation is that the Arabs also use the word qarn to refer to a hundred years. So it could also mean they were 10 times 100 years, which means 1,000 years. And this seems to be um, correct, not, not saying the first isn't, but that general theme of roughly being 1,000 years between Adam salam and Nuh salam, this is what seems to be apparent. Now Nuh salam is a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who similar to his predecessors was granted a long life. It just seems that at that time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed people with longer lives. And we know regarding Nuh that he lived over a thousand years. He lived a millennium, over a millennium. Um, some scholars, they state that he was granted prophethood at the age of 50. He then invited his people towards Islam for 950 years. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment came down at the end of the 950, which now equals to a full thousand, 50 plus 950. And then after that, he continued to live for another 50 years. So they say that his life was around a thousand and fifty years. Now Nuh is a prophet of Allah whose mention is in the Qur'an very regularly, abundantly. For example, you will find the reference of Nuh in Surah Al-Imran, An-Nisa, An'am, Tawbah, Yunus, Hud, Al-Isra, Maryam, Anbiya, A'raf, Al-Mu'minun, Al-Furqan, Al-Shu'ara, Al-Ankabut, Al-Ahzab, Al-Safat, Ibrahim, Saad, Surah Ghafir, Ashura, Qaf, Surah Dhariyat, Al-Najm, Al-Hajj, Al-Qamar, Al-Hadid, Al-Tahreem, and there's a whole surah dedicated to his name, Surah Nuh. So from these names itself, you see how regularly Nuh salam's name is there. Now in these surahs, not in each surah is there a detailed reference to Nuh salam. Some of these passively make reference to Nuh salam. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning many prophets, right? And then amongst the prophets' names, Nuh salam's name will also be there. Now the surahs in which you will find Nuh salam's story in detail are Surah A'raf, Surah Yusuf, 
Surah Hud, Surah Anbiya, and Surah Mu'minun. Surah Shura, Surah Safat, Surah Qamar, and Surah Nuh. In these surahs you will find a detailed uh, mention of... Um, actually, not in Surah Yusuf. In Surah Yusuf there isn't a detailed mention. There is not a, a detailed mention of, surah, of, of um, him in surah, in surah Yusuf. But the other ones are still there. Araf, Hud, Mu'minun, Shu'ara, Qamar, and Surah Nuh. You will find his mention there with a lot of detail. Now there is a narration of the Prophet ﷺ that is narrated by Imam Bukhari from Abu Hurairah a very famous narration that mankind will be waiting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to judge them on the day of judgment. They will go to Adam and ask him, O Adam, O father of mankind, can you please intercede to our Lord to start the hisab? And Adam will send nafsi nafsi that I'm worried about myself, I'm worried about myself. What if Allah says to me, present your hisab and I don't have... And he asks me regarding the mistake that I made in paradise. So I'm not going to be the one who asks Allah to start the hisab. Now in that narration, after they go to Adam السلام, the Prophet ﷺ says that فَيَأْتُونَ Nuhan, The people will then come to Nuh فَيَقُولُونَ And they will say يَا نُوح أَنْتَ أَوَّلَ الرُّسُلِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ وَسَمَّاكَ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا That, O oh, Nuh, you are the first of messengers to the people of the earth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entitled you, He named you, إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا shakura, That he was a very thankful servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now from this hadith right here, what we learn is that he was awwal rusul that he was the first messenger. So what does this mean? That Nuh was the first messenger? Because we discussed earlier that Adam salam was also granted certain scrolls. So was Sheith salam. So how can we say that Sayyidina Nuh is the first messenger when this right here is a hadith of Bukhari, authentic narration stating this. So the first thing is that the hadith says awwalur rusul from the first messengers. It's not saying he's the first messenger. What is it saying? From the first rusul. Rusul means messenger. He's from amongst the first from amongst the first messengers. Now, this could easily be battled linguistically because it does not say min awwalur rusul. It says awwalur rusul. So if you take if you take that linguistic perspective, then the argument that I just presented right now may not last. Um, so then, what does it mean? So the scholars, they say the prophets that came before Nuh salam, they were sent to a very uh, focused group of people. So for example, Adam salam's message was only for his children. Because at that time, mankind was only his children. And then you have Sheith salam, who again was preaching to a very narrow group of people. And so was Idris salam. But by the time of Nuh salam, mankind has now grown. A millennium later, so many people have come and left the earth, and now they're living through the different lands, and they're in different places. So because of the widespread, now Nuh salam's responsibility isn't only to a group of people, rather he's being sent a messenger to a large group of people. So that's why the scholars, they say, that the, that the message of Adam salam was to his children. And they were already monotheists. Okay? But for Nuh salam, his risala, his message was to ila qawmin kuffar. It was to a um, disbelieving people because by now people were starting to disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a majority of the people he's dealing with, as opposed to Sheith alayhi salam and Idris alayhi salam, they were kind of dealing with easier ratios where there weren't that many disbelievers. But when it comes to Nuh alayhi salam, he's dealing with a very large group of people. And in the earlier prophets, they were calling them towards morality. Sheith alayhi salam was calling his people towards morality. But when it comes to Nuh alayhi salam, يَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَى التَّوْحِيدِ 
he's calling them to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So considering this perspective that all of the responsibility of the messengers that, were follow, that will follow uh, him are now placed on his shoulders too, so that's why they refer to him as the first messenger. Now there are narrations that tell us that the primary um, group of people that he addressed during his time were the children of Qabil. Because as we discussed earlier on, the children of Habil, they lived separate from the children of Qabil. And the children of Qabil were known for their sin and transgression. So therefore, the, the, the primary goal that Nuh is dealing with are the family members of Qabil, and in particular, <coughs> those amongst them who became idol worshippers. So, the Qur'an tells us um, in Surah Nuh, وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ وَلَا سُوَاعَ وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوقَ وَنَسْرَ وَقَدْ أَضَلُّوا كَثِيرًا وَلَا تَزِيدِ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا ظَلَالًا Now in this ayah here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning that the people of the time were misguided by five idols. They had already put into play, there were already five idols there. And what were the names of these idols? Allah mentions their names are Wad, Yaghuth, Ya'uq, Suwa' and Nasr. Nasr with Asin, Nasra. These were the five idols that came into play and people were worshipping them. Now, who were these five people? Imam Shu'bi says that these were the these five idols were actually from the children of Sheith These five idols were from the children of Sheith And these were very pious people. We know the children of the, the people who lived with Qabil were not pious people. But from the children that came from Sheith were pious people. And these were very pious, righteous people. And when they passed away, Shaitan came to them and said to them, as we discussed earlier, that how are you going to commemorate them? How are you going to remember them? And then encouraged them to make their places of burial special places. And then from there he told them to um, have a remembrance for them, meaning draw an image of them. And then from there it turned into an idol. And slowly, slowly it creeped up on them. And that's how Shaitan is. Shaitan's um, trap is very um, mischievous, it's very slow, it takes time. But when he pulls you in, then you're in a place where it's very hard to turn back from. Now there's another narration from, um, that Abu Hatim narrates, Ibn Abi Hatim narrates from Urwa bin Zubair. He says that these five people were actually not the children of Sheith rather they were actually the children of Adam He says these five people were أَوْلَادُ آدَمَ وَكَانَ وَدٌ أَكْبَرُهُمْ أَكْبَرَهُمْ وَأَبَرَّهُمْ بِهِ That the oldest of the sons, in these five, his name was Wad, and he was the oldest of the children, and he was the most obedient to Adam So regardless of who these people were, what we do know is that these were pious people. That's what we do know. And we also understand how shaitan misguided the people into making them feel that there was a need for them to worship these people, a need for them to be dependent on these people. That's why it's important to understand for us the place of the pious, righteous, and the scholarly in our community. See, we know that in our deen there is an importance of respecting the elderly. Do we agree on that? Respecting the scholarly? Yes. Respect, respecting the pious and righteous? Yes. This is a part of our tradition actually. We respect them, we take care of them. The more we can do, the better it is. The Prophet ﷺ actually even encouraged the companions that if you find a person who is righteous in your community, then you should feed that person too. That's a, that's a means of, that's an honor for you. The Prophet ﷺ said, وَلَا يَأْكُلْ تَعَامَكَ إِلَّا تَقِي That you know when you, find a, when you find a pious person, feed that person as well. Actually the hadith, it's, it's worded differently that your food should not be eaten by a righteous, but by a righteous person. But what you can do to this from this is that when you find a pious person, 
A person should also feed that pious person, looking after them, honoring them. The Sahaba, they say, Hadifa radiallahu an says that when we would sit to eat with the Prophet wasallam, no one would take a morsel from the food until the Prophet ate first. We'd all sit there quietly waiting. And then when the Prophet would eat, then after that the other companions would come and they would eat from the Prophet wasallam. Now we have two camps here. There is one camp of people who completely disregard any honor to any human being after the messengers of Allah. You guys understand that? That's one group of people who say that after the messengers of Allah, everyone is the same, including the Sahaba. They say they're all the same. Omar is Omar, that's it, he's a human being, that's it. So that's one group, that's one extreme over here. And then there's another extreme who elevate the scholars and righteous to a degree where they become divine. So as Muslims, we have to understand that we are not from that group, neither are we from this group. We find a healthy middle balance. We will respect and honor our scholars and teachers. One person came to me, and I was sharing with them the uh, narration of Abdullah bin Zubayr an's birth. When Abdullah bin Zubayr an was born, Abu Bakr Siddiq an carried the baby on his shoulders through the streets of Makkah Mukarram, Medina Munawwara, and he was, saying to, he was saying takbir, and everyone was saying, Allahu Akbar. Everyone in Medina Munawwara was really excited, and the reason was because when the Muslims arrived in Medina, the people started saying, the enemies of Islam started saying that the Muslims are cursed and they will never have a child again. And some children coincidentally died by the qadr of Allah. So the first male child to be born after the Muslims arrived in Medina Munawwara and to live was who? Abdullah bin Zubair. So Abu Bakr was carrying this child on his shoulder saying takbir and everyone in Medina was saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. They were so happy at the birth of the child. He then brought the child to the Prophet sallallahu and Asma radiallahu anha, she says, who is his mother, she says that my child was brought to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he looked at my child, he then took a date, he put it in his mouth, the Prophet put it in his own mouth, he moistened the date with his saliva, and then put that date inside my son's mouth. And Asma radiallahu anha says, the first thing that went into my child's body was the saliva of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is her statement. Therefore we learn the sunnah of which is that after a child is born, uh, a pious person or elder of the family or even the father, they take something, uh, preferably a date, and a part of it, a small piece, you don't have to put the whole date in the child's mouth, they're not ready to eat yet, small little piece there, and put it in the child's mouth as a sunnah. So after I shared this hadith, one student came to me and said to me, Sheikh, you said that a pious person should do this. How can we find out if someone's pious? That doesn't make any sense. How could anyone know if anyone's pious? So I said, that's a very interesting statement. I'm not saying that you should have a measuring stick to judge how, who, who, who's pious and who isn't pious, but there's definitely a symbol of a pious person. When you see a person who's pious, there's a symbol of them, you know? As Allah refers to um, the Sahaba as well, سِيمَاهُمْ فِي وَجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّرُودِ The Qur'an says that while describing the Sahaba. The Qur'an says that, okay? While describing who? The Sahaba. And the Sahaba are post-prophets, which means that there is a possibility of people who are other than the prophets of having signs of piety. And what does the Qur'an say regarding them? Simahum, their symbol or their mark is fi wujuhihim min sujud that there are marks on their foreheads from their sujood. There are people who are in our community who are pious people. And I said to that person, if you have a tough time accepting that any person could be pious after the messengers of Allah, then how about just your father? Would you accept that your father is a pious person? He said, of course. I said, why don't you go and get the sunnah of tahniq done there then? So there is an agreement. I think we have to learn and appreciate that pious people do exist. And it's important for us to honor them. However, for someone to believe that without honoring them, there is no way 
that a person can seek salvation. But that, what I mean by that statement is, without going through them, you know, people have this idea that if I don't seek dua from the pious person, and I seek dua directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my dua won't be accepted. That's not true. You know, if a person makes dua directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your dua will be, it will be accepted. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي Da'ani. What is that? Da'an, we stop there, but what is it actually? Da'ani. That I accept the call of the, of the caller when he calls upon, he calls upon me directly. And it's interesting, if you look at this ayah of the Qur'an, generally in the Qur'an when the companions ask the Prophet a question, the ayah will start off by saying, Yes, alunaka. What will they say usually? Yes, alunaka, which means when they uh, they ask you, they ask you, عن الخمر والميسر ماذا ينفقون عن المحيد, you know, شهر الحرام قتال فيه, you know, they ask you. But when it comes to the Sahaba asking the Prophet about du'a, what does Allah say? وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي that when my servants ask you regarding me. Now, in other places of the Quran, when the Sahaba ask the Prophet something, Allah would say, they ask you regarding this, so say. What does Allah tell him? So you say, O oh Muhammad, in response that this is the answer. But when it comes to dua to Allah, what does Allah say? قريب, he answers himself. He doesn't ask the Prophet to tell us. What is Allah saying directly? قريب, I am close to you. Okay. So this is something that we have to keep our minds clear on. That we do honor and respect our scholars. But and doing ghulu in anything, being excessive in anything is dangerous. Ifrat or tafrit, overdoing it or underdoing it, this is not, this, these are not good things, okay? So we are respectful to our imams, our scholars, we appreciate them, but you have to realize that once a person passes away, once they've left this world, now they're on their journey with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I was once visiting a Muslim country, and one friend said to me that there is a shrine of a pious person, um, would you like to go visit? I said, well, I have no interest in visiting a shrine per se, but the fact that there's a Muslim buried there, why not? We'll go say salam. The Prophet did tell us uh, the virtue of saying salam and visiting the graveyard and so on, so we'll go there. So I went to the graveyard, and when I went there to, to, to this person's um, grave, I kid you not, Allah is my witness, I saw this with my eyes. People were doing tawaf of that grave. They were doing? They were doing tawaf of that grave. And I, I said to one of the brothers that was there, I said, brother, this is wrong, you're not supposed to do tawaf of a grave. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, there are a few issues that are related to tawaf that don't apply here. For example, where's the black stone? Where do you initiate your tawaf? Where do you end your tawaf? Right? I mean, I know that's not maybe the most robust argument. The, the most obvious argument is that this is not the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay? And uh, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Makkah Mukarramah. Anything other than that, you don't do tawaf of it. Tawaf is a ibadah that's muqtas bil makan. It's, it's specified with a particular place. You cannot do it anywhere else in the world. So anyway, we went back and forth until... I realized that this person just wasn't buying it, you know, because of ghulu, exaggeration when it comes to these things. So again, creating a balance is a very important thing. This particular community, they made a mistake. They went to honor their scholars, they didn't know where the lines were. And they kept going forward and forward and forward and forward until these five pious people ended up becoming idols. And the interesting thing about these idols, Ibn Abbas says that these were idols from the time of the children of Adam and the Arabs used to worship the same five idols. That even till the day of the Arabs, these five idols were respected idols. Ibn Abbas says, even till the Arabs, the Jahiliya days. So you're talking about millenniums of people just continuing on and on and on. And that's the interesting thing about shirk. You have to nip it in the bud. Right at the beginning, you have to cut it off. Because the longer it stays, 
people end up validating it more and more and more until it becomes a part of culture, it becomes a part of tradition, and then it becomes a part of a person's identity. And when something becomes a part of a person's identity, then they stop thinking logically and they just continue doing it. They just want to continue doing it again and again. So now this is a situation that um, Nuh is dealing with. Nuh is granted prophethood by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he starts working on the people. And he invites them towards the deen. One by one he's coming to them, inviting them towards the deen. And as he invites them, the people, they reject him. And he invites them again, and they reject him again. And these people, he invited them for 950 years. You know, for those people who are involved in the field of da'wah, you wonder to yourself that people take pride in saying that I've spent so many days in da'wah, or I've spent so many months in da'wah. How many days does, does um, Nuh have under his belt? That he remained in them for a thousand years, but 50. For 950 years, he kept working on them. Now, someone can ask, but why 950 years? That's a, that's a bit long. 40 years, 50 years is enough. And this is uh, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showing us a lesson that when you're giving da'wah to people, your job is to be patient and persistent. Just keep going at it. Slowly again and again and again. Now, Nuh salam, he says, as Allah tells us in Surah Nuh itself, قَالَ رَبِّ إِنِّي دَعَوْتُ قَوْمِي لَيْلًا وَنَهَارًا Oh my Lord, Nuh salam said, Oh my Lord, I invited my people during the, night and also, during the day and also during the night as well. فَلَمْ يَزِدُهُمْ دُعَائِي إِلَّا فِرَارًا But every time I invited them, they ran away from me. It's like Nuh became a joke amongst them. You know, they would all mock him. And he was a prophet of Allah. Very few people with him, if any. And he was just inviting them. <laughs> and whenever I said to them, people repent to Allah, Allah will forgive you. They took their fingers and put it in their ears. And they started saying, blah, 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 blah. They started saying stuff like this to him. And they put their garments over their heads. That we don't want to see your face. They Not only did they cover their ears, but they also covered their faces as well. And they were persistent in their approach of ignoring the messenger. And they were very proud. They were so arrogant. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said, And I said to them, you know, Nuh alayhi salam is saying that he said to them, استغفروا ربكم Go and repent to your Lord. إنه كان غفارا Your Lord will forgive you. يرسل السماء عليكم مدرارا وينددكم بأموال وبنين ويجعل لكم جنات ويجعل لكم أنهارا ما لكم لا ترجون لله وقارا He's telling these people, if you repent to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will shower rain upon you. They were facing a famine drought. He said to them, you're asking these idols here? Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because of the famine, obviously their finances were also... On a low. So he said, Allah will increase you in wealth. And also along with that, due to the famine and due to just the, what was happening, there are some narrations that tell us that the women could no longer give birth as well. So he said to them, Allah will give you children as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you so much if you just repent him. Go and say sorry. Don't you know what's wrong with you? Why do, you, why do you people no longer hope for the grand, you know, you do not have any hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's grand year. How great Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how respectable Allah is. You're turning all away from it. And he continued calling them. Now as Nuh salam called them, these people, they ignored him. Right? And I want to mention one point here, maybe as a faida, as an added benefit. Nuh salam, when he's inviting them, he's telling them to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
to come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Someone came to Hassan al-Basri and said to him that um, in our community, we're facing a drought. What is a dua that you would request, you encourage us to read? So Hassan al-Basri said to those people that make istighfar abundantly. Say astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Another person came to Hassan al-Basri and he said to him that my business is a little low right now. I'm not making enough wealth. I'm struggling with my finances. Hassan al-Basri said to him, say istighfar abundantly. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Another person came to Hassan al-Basri and said to him that I can't have children. So Hassan al-Basri said to that person, say astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. So one of the students, they said, Hassan, the three people came with three different issues and for each of them you gave the same prescription. Astaghfirullah for each of the three. So Hassan al-Basri said, Did you not see the ayah in the Qur'an? فَقُلْتُ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ غَفَّارًا يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْرَارًا وَيُمْدِدُكُمْ بِأَمْوَالٍ وَبَنِينَ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ أَنْهَارًا That Allah promised that those who repent, He will shower the sky upon them with mercy. You know? And then he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them children and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them wealth because that's the power of istighfar. Istighfar isn't only an eraser. Some people, they think istighfar is only to repent to Allah from sins. Initially, that's the immediate effect. That if someone has a sin and they make istighfar, the first effect is that it covers the sins, it removes the sins, it washes them away. But that's not the only effect of istighfar because don't we know that the Prophet used to make istighfar too? If the Prophet used to make istighfar, then why are they making istighfar if they're already forg free, forgiven of their sins? You guys understand the argument? If the prophets don't have any sins, why are they repenting to Allah? The reason why they're repenting to Allah is, be is because the immediate effect of istighfar is that it removes your sins, and then the long-term effect of istighfar is that it elevates your ranks in paradise. And it brings you closer to Allah, and it brings you closer to Allah, it brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so this is the importance of istighfar, and this is what he's telling them. Now, the people of um, Nuh alayhi salam, they were being very arrogant and very rough with Nuh alayhi salam. And Nuh alayhi salam says, istikbara, uh, they were very arrogant and haughty. But Nuh alayhi salam continued. He continued giving them da'wah. Even though these people were very mean and harsh, he just kept doing his thing. And I think this is a big lesson for us, um, for Muslims living in the West and Muslims across the world, that our job is not to demand a change. Our job as people involved in inviting people to Islam is to try. That's our job. Can anyone ever guarantee that they will be a cause of another person accepting Islam? Yes or no? You can't. As we're going to learn ahead, Nuh wasn't able to convey Islam to his own wife and his own son. You know, he's a prophet of Allah who tried for 950 years. But he won't be held accountable by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment for having a wife who died outside Islam. The reason why he won't be held accountable is because he tried. Our job is to try. We have the, one of the problems that we have, one of the issues that we have with our mindset when giving da'wah is that we demand results. I've been telling my brother to pray salah, but he's not praying. Okay, so what do I do? Just continue telling him, that's what you do. That's it. But he's not praying. Well, that's not in your hands to have him pray. It's in your hands to be wise, to be soft, to be mature, and continue try. Balagh, as the Qur'an says, the messenger's job is to only convey. The messenger cannot enforce any results. It's impossible. It's beyond us. So here Nuh is also very softly just inviting people towards Islam, inviting them softly, inviting them kindly, not demanding a result. Obviously every person would like a result, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give results. There was one Imam that I met from um, Ohio, 
I met him two weeks back in Chicago. I was leading a nikah, I was conducting the nikah, and that imam also attended because the person's nikah that I was conducting was a friend of his. Now when the imam came there, I asked him, I said, Shaykh, how is everything going in Cincinnati? He said, Alhamdulillah, everything is going very well. And I said, any new projects? He said, since the beginning of the year, 2015, we've been very focused on inviting people towards Islam. And I said, how is that going? He said, well, it was going very good, Alhamdulillah. This year we had over 70 shahadas. How many? Now that's good, right? But it gets better. Wait for it. He said, well, then what happened was that um, a few weeks back, he's telling me this two weeks ago, by the way. He said to me, then what happened was that one day I was giving da'wah to a brother. He's a Christian guy. I was giving him da'wah towards Islam, talking to him about the Prophet and Allah and the beauty of the deen. And that person became interested and he read the shahada. But what made this person very special was that he was a priest. So that's the cherry on the top. It gets better, wait for it. Right? He said, then what happened was that this guy came to the masjid, this priest, and said to me that Alhamdulillah, Allah guided me towards Islam. So after I accepted Islam, I went back to my church, and everyone in my church wants to become Muslim. The full church. The full church came and read Shahada. And I, I, said, I shared this story with Imam Siraj Wahaj this weekend. I was with him in Canada, in Vancouver. And I told Imam Siraj Wahaj that there's a sheikh that I know who had... Um, Allah used him as a means for a priest and the whole church accepting Islam. Imam Siraj, he's a funny guy. He said, no way! I don't believe it. He does believe it, but he's just egging me on, right? He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I said, Sheikh, it's true. He said, show me proof. So then I, I, I WhatsApped the Sheikh, Sheikh Ismail Chartier. I, I messaged him. I said, Sheikh, I'm with Imam Siraj and he's saying that he wants proof. So then Sheikh Ismail messaged back saying, yes, this is true. I was the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used for this honor. So sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open the doors and sometimes the doors will remain closed of hidayah on people. But that, again, I want to make this clear, <coughs> You cannot cause anyone to be guided. However, you can make an effort for their guidance and leave the rest in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.